This morning we're going to consider the God of grace and glory. Please turn to 1 Peter, the God of grace and glory. We'll look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through to 14. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you saluteth you and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Throughout this epistle the Apostle Peter has been speaking words of tremendous encouragement to Christians, whom he describes as strangers in the opening verse. Like Abraham of old, if you belong to Jesus, you too are a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. This world is not your home. In fact, as we saw last week, this world is a place where your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks around seeking whom he may devour. Though you are no longer of this world, you you most certainly are not someone without status. In fact, in chapter 2, you are spoken of as being a living stone in a spiritual building of which the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation and the chief cornerstone. You belong to a holy nation and a royal priesthood. God has taken you out of the, out of darkness and he has transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? You're certainly not someone wandering around this wicked world without status. That's for sure. Peter mentions some very important differences between Christians and everyone else. For one thing, Christians are the elect of God. They are chosen by God. They were chosen by God before the foundation of the world for salvation and everlasting life. They are born again and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus who was himself chosen by God before the foundation of the world to redeem the elect with his own precious blood. Then in the fullness of time, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus redeemed all the elect of God from all the ages, not just people, after Jesus uh, laid down his life on the cross, but everyone before that, whoever was chosen by God, Throughout history, Jesus poured out his blood and laid down his life for them at Calvary's cross. 
as the sacrificial lamb of God. Instructions are given in this epistle for godly living. And that is important. If you are the elect of God and if you are a royal priest in a holy nation, it's reasonable to say that your life is very different to what it once was. After all, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you are a Christian, you are no longer to live the rest of your time in the flesh, doing the will of men, the lusts of men, but rather you do the will of God. Or at least that is your desire, your heart's desire to do God's will. And that includes living in subjection to earthly rulers and living in subjection to one another. Not just living in subjection to one another, but having a love for one another. Much is said in the New Testament about happiness and joy in times of persecution. And this epistle is no exception. In chapter 4, verse 14, Peter says to Christians, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. I remember that verse when it was first brought to me many years ago. I can't even remember who brought it to me now. Um, Someone brought that verse to my attention and I found it a great source of comfort then and I still love that verse now, all those years later. It's a wonderful verse. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye as a Christian. Moses of old, I've already mentioned that Jesus didn't just lay down his life on the cross for those who were born afterwards, but for those who came before. Moses, who was in the world um, 1,500 years before Jesus came down from heaven, he suffered the reproach of Christ. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 11. He chose to suffer the reproach of Christ rather than enjoy the privileges of being a prince of Egypt. Dear Christian, when it comes to suffering, you need to look no further than to what? To the cross of Jesus. Who is your example? You should follow in his steps and consider it a tremendous privilege and a joy to suffer for his sake. Today we shall consider the final verses and we shall see that Peter finishes with a promise and with praises to God. I'm not going to look at everything that I've read in those final verses, just a few things that I'm going to pick out. Look at verse 10 again. But the God of all grace, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Having considered our adversary the devil in the previous verses and how Christians are to resist him, not in the flesh, but in the faith, Peter now turns our attention away from the evil one and turns our attention to God. The God of all grace 
and he turns our attention to the promises upon which our faith our faith rests. We can see that the grace of God, in other words, God's undeserved favour, we can see it in action the moment when we actually see the grace of God, the moment when a hopeless, helpless sinner repents, when there's that change of mind and that person receives Jesus as his saviour and believes on his name. We see these things and we hear the testimony. And if you're a Christian in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's visible. The grace of God is visible when someone becomes a Christian. It's supernatural and it is visible. And that grace continues to be visible throughout your Christian life. Or at least it ought to be. That change I can remember when I became a Christian, I, I, I received a lot of opposition, uh, even from family. They said it was some phase I was going through uh, and so on, and people were quite sarcastic towards me. But then after a year, not so many comments, after more years, more years, more years, the decades went by, People don't say, I'm just going through a phase anymore. And there should be that change. People should see the change in you. And that is the grace of God being made visible. And none of us who are Christians can take any credit for that change and um, for how we now are. Being saved from our sin, it is grace from start to finish. As it is written in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Being saved involves God calling his elect with a holy, irresistible and effectual call through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Again, it needs to be stressed that a positive response to such a call, a gospel call, can only ever happen by the grace of God. And as a preacher, I know this to be the case. I can preach till the cows come home and it will just bounce off people unless God opens hearts to receive the message that is being preached. And he unstops deaf ears. It's by the grace of God. As it is written in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. God hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Therefore, even though that grace is visible to us when a person first becomes a Christian, we see that repentance, we see that faith in Jesus, but that's not when the grace of God starts, is it? It goes all the way back, if, if I can use that word, back to when? Before the foundation of the world. Eternity. God's eternal decree. Unchanging decree. If you want to trace the grace of God, saving grace of God back, you'll have to go all the way back to eternity. 
before there was anything. And when you grasp that your call to repent and believe the gospel was decided by God before the foundation of the world, you shouldn't even think to entertain any notion that you can ever lose your salvation. How sad it is when you hear Christians talking about the possibility of losing their salvation. I'd be a nervous wreck. If I had, if that was my, if that was the doctrine that I believed. But it's not. It's foolish doctrine. And think about it. God chooses people for salvation before the foundation of the world. He doesn't do that just so that someone can lose their salvation. If you are a Christian having been chosen, before the foundation of the world, you can be sure that you are safe now and forevermore in the hand of Jesus and in the hand of his Father. Safe, double safe. And that is an amen and an amen. John Newton knew what he was talking about when he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. There you go. Grace saved him. Grace keeps him. Grace will take him home. It's grace from from start to finish. Let's have a look at verse 10. But the God of all grace, who have called us, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. By the grace of God you are called unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. The eternal glory of God that you are called to most certainly includes being with Jesus where he is and beholding his glory, I'm always going on about that, aren't I? John 17, verse 24. If you don't know it, read it and learn it. Jesus declaring his will to his Father that they be with me where I am to behold my glory. What a wonderful verse of scripture that is. It includes being perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. The enjoyment of uninterrupted fellowship with God and freedom from all evil without and within. That is the eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Also, unlike the glory of this world, the eternal glory is forevermore. It is a glory that will never fade away. In the meantime, dear Christian, it is given unto you not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. Note that the suffering is not forever. It is for a while, whereas God's glory is forever. In verse 10, Peter says, The God of all grace make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And what that means is that if and when you suffer persecution for Christ's sake, God will equip you with everything that you need, and most of all, God will equip you with himself. 
He will be right there with you in the fiery furnace. That really is something to rejoice about. Suffering the reproach of Christ and fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. As you have probably noticed, I often quote the Apostle Paul who said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul doesn't stop there, does he? He continues by saying, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death is everything as precious, every bit as precious as knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Don't just think about knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, but I'll skip the sufferings and being made conformable unto his death. Let's move on to verse 11. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Straight after saying that the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about the earth, seeking whom he may devour, and straight after talking about the extreme suffering and perhaps even martyrdom that would soon be the portion of Christians at that particular time in history under the tyrannical rule of Emperor Nero, Peter switches the focus back to God and says, to him be glory and dominion. Dominion means power. To God be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. King David said much the same thing 3,000 years ago when he said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. And according to the Apostle John's heavenly vision, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You don't have to be like King David or an elder in heaven. Whatever your station, whatever your lot in this evil world of which the devil is the prince, if you are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin and you have that certain hope of eternal glory, then you have every reason to joyfully say to God be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dear Christian, it's worth noting that the suffering for a while that is spoken of in verse 10 is at the hands of wicked men who are doing the will of their murderous and lying father, the devil. But for all that, God is in full control, working out his purpose, and that can be clearly seen to be the case with the death of Jesus. We can see that how that behind wicked men is the devil, but ultimately behind the devil and in control of everything is almighty God.
to be to whom be all glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. For example, the devil entered Judas Iscariot, and then what happened? Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Consequently, Jesus was arrested, he was brought before the Jewish leaders, he was handed over to the Roman authorities, and he was crucified between two thieves. Yet for all that, we are told in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, that he, Jesus, was delivered to wicked men to be crucified and put to death by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Therefore, without in any way excusing the actions of the wicked men who crucified Jesus, they did what they did in accordance with God's eternal decree, which resulted in the incarnate Son of God being wounded for the transgressions of all that believe in him, and he was bruised for their iniquities. Their iniquities were laid upon him by by his Father in heaven when wicked men nailed him to a cross and lifted him up to die. Let's have a look at verses 12 through to 14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Finally, in this epistle, Peter declares by a faithful brother in Christ called Silvanus that this is the true grace wherein ye stand. There's a lot written about Silvanus or a lot of conjecture. We don't actually read much about him at all here, do we? But uh, there are those, and I'm not saying they're wrong, I don't know. There are people who would say that Silvanus is one and the same as Silas, the Apostle Paul's travelling companion, who was in the jail, in the dungeon no less, uh, with the Apostle Paul in Philippi. And do you remember that? The two of them, at midnight, they were praising God. They were singing hymns, praising God. But anyway, um, let's move on with that. We see that the epistle that Peter declares is by a faithful brother called Silvanus, that this is the true grace wherein ye stand. In other words, the contents of this epistle, far from instilling fear in Christians, ought to serve to encourage them to stand fast in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't pull any punches though, does it? This epistle, it talks about suffering and being glad and joyful in suffering for Christ's sake. But it is nevertheless an epistle of tremendous comfort. It's fortifying And it's the word of God. In other words, the contents of this epistle, far from instilling fear, it really ought to encourage you. It it, it should encourage each one of us who profess the name of Jesus to stand fast 
in our faith in these very difficult times in which we now live. When you as the elect of God suffer, God equips you for that suffering. When you are in the fiery furnace, the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you is right there with you. And notice, I'm not saying there that God will deliver you from death. He may do, maybe he won't. It depends on his his purpose and how you might glorify him. But suffice to say and to know that God is with you in the trials that he, that he gives you for his glory and for your good. The grace of God will uphold you will uphold all of you who are trusting in his dear son for salvation for sin, from salvation from sin and eternal glory awaits you i'm going to finish now by quoting the apostle paul he said who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.